This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at Ravinia.org. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. I've lived a lot of different places. A few cities in Michigan, here in Chicago. I spent a few weeks and even months in cities and towns across four other continents. When you live in a place, does that mean you can call it home? How long do you need to be there before you can call it that? Like, what's the threshold? Three months? Twelve? Or does it depend on how your life is set up there? Are you working? Do you have a local ID? Or have you established residency in a place? For a long time, home for me felt more like a person, my mother. No matter how you try to explain it, home is a complicated concept and how it's defined varies depending on who you ask. It's something we're going to get into on the rundown over the next few days, starting with a conversation about being a part of Chicago's huge community of immigrants. So I grew up in Mumbai City in India. Back then it was called Bombay. And I moved here about five years ago. So I'm in my 30s, but in American years, I'm like five. (laughs) This is Jitesh Jaggi. Perfect. (laughs) I give people five trials usually. Jitesh has been here for five years, and now he self-identifies as a Chicagoan. And you may already know him from the show The Moth. He's also a storyteller. Yeah, my family thinks I'm a stand-up comedian, and I constantly have to tell them, like, that's not what I do. Lately, Jitesh has been thinking about this concept of home a lot. He's putting on a one-man show at Steppenwolf on September 14th and 16th. It's called Suitcase Stories, an immigrant's journey of losing one home and finding two. I talked to him about some of the show's themes, and we started with his first home, a neighborhood of Mumbai. We used to call it a Punjabi camp. Punjabi is the ethnicity that I belong to. Only later on in my adult years, I find out the history of it, and it turns out it's a refugee camp. Oh, wow. People who migrated for, uh, you know, during India-Pakistan Uh, partition. That's where I grew up. It's a very sheltered little community. People, they just started setting up their own little businesses, their shops, so Mm. they could support each other. Their businesses were their neighbors. Is that what your parents did? Yeah, my father has been a car mechanic all his life, you know. He didn't have his own shop, but he dabbled in a bunch of different uh, occupations. and As you have, like father, like son. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's the pattern. What is something when you think about that place that was your home with, with all of those dynamics going on where you're like, this is one thing that I think about that like immediately takes me there? So many things come to mind, but food definitely mm. is, is going to be at the top. Like there are just familiar smells. If you walk around my home or my neighborhood, you know exactly what kind of night we are having. Are we get, having a special kind of night? Are we having the regular dal chawal, you know, what you call lentil soup and rice uh-huh. kind of a night? 
and Indian food is so flavor heavy mm. uh, that it's just something that takes me back immediately, even if I smell it today. Yeah, one thing I appreciate about that cuisine is that it's like so many spices, whether it's actually hot, spicy or not. It's just like so much flavor. Um, yeah, and there's so many subtleties in flavor. I think yes. I think Indian food in America is like, I think stereotypically hot, but that's I promise you that's not the case uh, back in India. Like there's okay. so many different flavor profiles, but as usual, the loudest elements make it uh, to America first. <laughs> You know, like we have so many movies, but Bollywood makes it here because it's uh-huh. loud, it's in your face. Same with Indian cuisine. I think the hottest in your face kind of a cuisine made it here first. But the flavor profile is so diverse. Yeah. I mean, the first time I had, is it bitter melon was when I was in India. I was right outside of Mysore. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> Right. And it was so bitter, but the way that it was prepared, it was perfect. It was over rice. It had some other vegetables. I mean, it was so nice. So, oh my God. Yeah. Indian mothers will like cook down a piece of rubber and make it palatable. Like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> You've had some various different, like your father, you've had various uh, vocations. And you used to work in finance back in Mumbai, but you didn't love that, right? Yeah, that's an understatement. (laughs) I did not love that at all. Uh, I was an investment banker for about seven years, mostly, you know, like uh, entry-level positions and got, got promoted over the years. Uh, but over time, like it was very clear from year one of these seven years that this was not for me. It was pretty much paper pushing, you know what I mean? So uh, tell me, what what is the timeline of you like being an artist mm-hmm. compared or juxtaposed against you being like in finance, pushing paper? Yeah, so I was pretty shy kid growing up. Another thing that I associate with home is music. There was music playing all the time in my home, different kinds of music, you know. I was never a good singer, never learned to pick up an instrument, but I was what you could call a fairly decent dancer. Like I would dance for my mother for to entertain my cousins, Aww. you know, make them laugh. Just goofy little dances. <laughs> I was just looking for some artistic kind of a, uh, some reprieve, some relief, mm. uh, some expression. And uh, I was like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do something like this. Okay. Natural performer. I, I think so. Maybe, you know, but some somewhere down the line, it got beat out of me, so to speak, uh, you know, to like uh, mold myself into a boring finance life. Yes. But yes, yeah, this is the time when we first got access to the internet, you know, late 2000s. And the first American cultural export that reached us was hip hop videos. And yeah, I saw my first few hip hop videos and instead of looking at the rappers and wanting to be a rapper, immediately I was like, who are these people behind the rapper? What are oh, they doing? Yeah. Went to Google and came the term breakdancing. <laughs> so I led a double life. I would go early in the morning to my office, work there and then leave in the evening. And I would uh, practice secretly as a breakdancer. <laughs> Like from YouTube videos or like? Pretty much. There were no teachers whatsoever. It was such a new art form, right? Uh, so we Shocking. Basically kind in of 2000, re- there weren't any breakdancing teachers in Mumbai? <laughs> no, no, not no, no, at all. I'm, I'm just joking. Yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> no, there were no Rocksteady crew there. There was okay. just us and 
yeah, over time, I started to teach dance uh, at a nonprofit in Mumbai. And that's where I got the first taste of, oh, life doesn't have to be this boring. Like mm. I can, I enjoy working. I just need to find my kind of work. I love that. And like my kind of work can be art. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So eventually you went ahead and just dropped finance. Tell me about that moment when you were like, you know what? I'm done. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate, but now it's funny looking back at it. So my job was to do this weekly report on what's called credit risk instruments. And one day it just happened that a day before I'm supposed to send this report that I work on an Excel sheet to my bosses, uh, my computer crashed. Not just mine, the whole floor somehow crashed. And I was the only one who hadn't saved his Excel sheet. So basically all the work that I've been doing for five long days, it just went into the ether. And I swear to God, I just sat back on my chair and I was like, I am not feeling anything. I don't feel grief. I don't feel loss. I don't feel regret. I'm not feeling, I don't care about this report. I do not (laughs) care that this report that was supposed to exist doesn't exist because I don't know what where this was supposed to go. I don't know what this report is about. These are just numbers to me. Yeah. And that's when I decided like, okay, this is a wake up call. This is a tipping point. Uh, And before they could fire me, the very next uh, week I put in my papers and never looked back. Wow. You know, this is something that my mom tells me a lot, like when I'm trying to make big decisions and she's like, you know, go with your gut. Like, you know, which for yeah. me is like, go with the feels. Like, do you do what do you feel? You like to hear they're just like, I feel nothing, actually. Yeah. If this conversation were to end because my headphones went off, like I would freak out because <laughs> I care about this conversation. Before my show, if I lose my script, I will start to freak out, you know, like yeah. that tells you like, what is it that you care about? Yes. So. That was enough for me. Absolutely. So I saw somewhere that it was through some creative work that you were doing that you met um, the person who is now your wife. Can you tell me about how, tell me that story? Yeah, so there was this local little nonprofit in my area of Mumbai and um, a very, very disinvested community. You know, like this is a place where uh, all of the trash of Mumbai goes. It's an open landfill and people live there right in the city of Mumbai. Mm. It's called Govandi. And I would go there every weekend and I would teach these kids how to break dance because it was so freeing for them. They had no extracurricular activities. Uh, so I started teaching them there and I got really invested very quickly with these kids with this kind of work with just the artistic expression of dance of working in the arts and um, one of my students I saw on Facebook uh, was tagged with this woman that I did not recognize clearly she was you know not from India she's uh, foreign looking but she's very pretty (laughs) but the first thing that comes to my mind is not even that she's pretty the first thing that comes to my mind is Oh my God, white people in Mumbai, let me invite them over to my nonprofit. Maybe they'll give us some uh, huge donation checks or they will promote this. And I reached out to Whitney, uh, who's today my wife, like, hey, you know, like I see you are on a tour of Mumbai. Would you like to come visit us? Uh, We are in a small nonprofit. We would love to have you. And we started chatting. And yeah, it just 
went from one to the one thing to the next. Wow, that's that's beautiful. Um, tell me about you know, there's two people there in two different countries. Y'all had this long distance kind of situation going on eventually. One person, a lot of times with these types of relationships, decides to move. Mm-hmm. How did that become you? How did you, how, how did it become that you were the one to, to relocate? Right. That is a good question. That And I'm so glad we talked about my professional background before this. So I had quit that job. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was working as a freelancer. I was, uh, you know, uh, I've always been a reader and I was like, oh, maybe I can try my hand at writing. So I was writing freelance and all I needed to work was just my laptop and I could work anywhere. So it became very obvious that, you know, I would be the one who, who would be traveling to her, which by that time, I'll tell you, I had no idea what Chicago was <laughs> for all. I, I thought Chicago was a sports team. I'm not going to lie. Uh-huh. Uh, my only reference to Chicago was seeing it on a T-shirt somewhere with the Bulls. And I was like, oh, the Chicago team. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know it was a city. Uh, and and she could be living in, I don't know, Nebraska. Yeah. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to Nebraska to my girlfriend. <laughs> you know? I did not care. Oh, uh, but it was so beautiful because I think I would have found Chicago somehow like this is my home now that's sweet um so you never heard of Chicago I mean I don't know like for me like moving (laughs) to a place I never heard of like before I met this one person who lives there like I it feels does it did it feel like impulsive were you scared like were you just excited um so we never even talked about our future plans. We never talked like who's going to move where or both of us are going to move somewhere. Like there was this feeling, but like we never talked about it because it can be so difficult to talk about, you know, it, because it yes. also includes a chance of, well, neither of us can move. Exactly. So what, what, and we were like too in at that point, too in love to like, you know, even entertain the possibility that this might not work for a logistical reason. Um, logistical reason, like moving across the world. Um <laughs> So what what yeah. made that happen was um, the U.S. immigration system. They pretty much <laughs> gave us no other option. I would apply for tourist visas to come visit my girlfriend in America, just like she would come visit me in Mumbai, right? Yeah. And every single time they rejected it. And they never gave me a reason for it. And it was really coming in between of me seeing my girlfriend, yeah. you know? And it was too much for me to ask her every time to come see me. Like we would take trips like to Thailand, for example, for a week to just, this is our date night to just like book a flight to Thailand and meet in a foreign country because her country wouldn't accept me, wouldn't allow me to be wow. in there. And uh, we you know, did a lot of research and we found out that the only way they're going to let me in if we could establish a clear relationship between the two of us and the immigration system is such that they only deem a relationship legitimate if the couple is married or engaged. Like there's no other forms of relationship. I couldn't just tell them, Oh, I'm going to see my girlfriend. Yeah. Otherwise you're single. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, they're like, Oh, sure. like th- they would ask me these questions. They're like, Oh, are you going to like, uh, you know, stay back and seek employment and overstay your visa? Like they weren't even like covert about it. They're like, you are definitely uh, doing this as a ruse. Uh, and mm. I just can't prove myself innocent to them if they assume me guilty mm. so yeah so we were like okay we're going to beat them at their own game and uh, that's when we decided we we're going to get engaged and i'm going to apply a visa instead of a tourist as a spouse mm. that is what worked 
Um, so your one-man show at Steppenwolf is about the immigrant experience. It's also about how you create home in a foreign place. Was there a particular moment when you felt like Chicago was really home? Yeah, so many stories do come to mind, but one just like sticks out immediately for me. Like I said already, you know, food is something that would bind me to my home. So I was here in Chicago in in spring, uh, the first year, and it started raining out of nowhere. And uh, in Mumbai, every time it rains, my mother and so many mothers would cook this deep fried fritter. It's called bhajia. Every time it rains, she would make that, right? Mm -hmm. It's so much so like... I start to have a, like a Pavlovian effect for me. Like every time it rains, I start <laughs> yes. like salivating for Bajiga, yeah. right? Uh, so uh, now I'm here in this foreign country. I don't necessarily speak the language. Uh, I don't have my comfort food. I don't have none of the comforts of family and friend and home. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see if I can remember how my mom used to cook it. And it was worse. It was so bad. I ended up actually burning the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just could not could not replicate what she did, you know. Yeah. And so I just go walk outside and I'm like, I'm just going to be an American who gets a takeout, I guess. <laughs> and I'm walking around. I live in Humboldt Park. It's a Puerto Rican neighborhood. People constantly hit me up and start speaking to me in Spanish because they think I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> um, apparently, Puerto Ricans come in all shades. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of them. And I have to explain them like, oh, my God, I barely speak English, sir. Uh, Right. So I was walking around really dejected. I couldn't make this bhajia. I couldn't have this comfort food. And I come across this hibarito, this uh, Puerto Rican joint in Humble Park. And I go in and this guy who barely speaks English himself. And we got to talking and I tell him what was weighing on my heart so heavy. You know, I tell him, like, I tried to do this, blah, blah. And he started asking me, like, what do you think goes into this? Like, what, what are the ingredients? What happens? And he started cooking for me. I didn't place an order. He just started. He's like, I have something that is similar. And he cooks something called aranitas. And they are like fried plantains. Mm -hmm. And they look, taste, and feel just like bhajiyas. And he makes them for me. Didn't, doesn't charge anything. And he says he hasn't seen his own mother in six years. So he know how, knows how that feels. This is something that he grew up eating. And that... I think was the first time I was like, Chicago is going to take care of me. This community is going to take care of me. That's when I started to leave some of my inhibitions behind. And like, mm. I can just, it's safe to, to invest myself in now. That is so special. As you continue to tell stories and, and tell stories like this, that have me like definitely tearing up. <laughs> um, I know you move from Detroit too. Like everybody <laughs> who moves, they they relate to these stories about home and childhood and family. Yeah, it's so important. Um, how do you think your experience coming here to the states, coming to Chicago? How do you want it to affect other people? Yeah, I think there's this common maxim that goes around that people take it as true that America was built by immigrants as built on the back of immigrants when we just say it as such 
we forget to like dig deeper and we forget to like know the details we forget to know like these people who built this country this beautiful country this diverse country what is their life like i want people to hear my stories my show suitcase stories and take it as a first hand account of an immigrant and kind of a sneak peek into the life of an immigrant going starting from nothing starting from scratch and to 5 years later feeling very confidently that this is his home and nobody can say otherwise i feel like i belong here now Jitesh Jaggi is a writer, performer, and storyteller. His one-man show is called Suitcase Stories: An Immigrant's Journey of Losing One Home and Finding Two. It's at Steppenwolf Thursday, September 14th, and Saturday, September 16th. Tickets are still available at steppenwolf.org. Jitesh, thank you. Thank you so much, Erin. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR network. If you love the show, please rate and review us. It helps more people find The Rundown. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with your thoughts, questions, and what you want to hear. You can email therundownpod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs>